building, you know, building things is something that I just uh, awe of people that really have the patience to put that together. I mean, you know, starting with a simple birdhouse and then going up from oh there. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, this is like time and like time consuming and really thought process and measurement. I just, that's not me, but clearly Bill has been, from what I read, has been doing this since he was a child. His, you know, his mom gave him a toolkit and that was it. Wow. But you never did any wood class? No, Ever. man, nothing. Why? Never. Come on. No, I did nothing. I'm not, I, I, I don't know if I've ever even whittled. I, I don't, I'm not, that's not my thing. Yeah, you got to do whittling, whittling on a it. porch and like with your rocking chair. That's you got that. You can do that when you're 70 and 80. <laughs> <with a whittling. laughs> I'm Todd Harrington, and you're listening to the Gray Matters podcast. Along with my co-host, Tony Hoyland, each episode explores a special guest's lifelong passion. There'll be a bit of nostalgia, but mostly... Is our guest's personal story of how they discovered their passion and how it evolved over the years. Welcome to the Gray Matters Podcast. Our guest today is Bill Bancroft, a professional furniture designer and artist in woodworking and fabrication of furniture and architectural millwork for over 30 years. After graduating from Brown University in 82, he did what many people did that decade. He went to Wall Street, but it didn't last long. His passion called, and he felt he had to get back to making things with his hands like he'd done his whole life. So he threw away the business suit, and he started an antique restoration business in New York City while he continued to doing various original design projects and displaying them in the design magazine called Metropolis. He returned to school to fine-tune his craft as a graduate student at Rhode Island School of Design. After that, in 1995, he founded and still runs Bill Bancroft Furniture Design. Bill has been in touch with his handy self for most of his life, building things since he was in a little kid in grade school and encouraged by instructors and parents all along the way. Without further ado, Bill Bancroft. Hey, Bill. Hi. You'll probably hear another charming voice chime in from time to time, crafting his own right. My <laughs> nice. co-host, Tony Hoyland, a professional voiceover and musician. Tony, say hi to Bill. Hey, Bill. Good to meet you. Hi, Tony. I think you, I read somewhere that your mother gave you a toolkit when you were very little. And from there, it all began. Is that, is that how it all started, the passion? Yeah, I think, I think when I was, when I was a, a youngster, I used to dig around my father's toolbox and, and uh, just start to grab things and, and uh, take things apart. Um, I would build all kinds of little plastic models and glue things together and then cut them up and re-glue them into new things. <laughs> wow. So it was, uh, I was constantly, Mother. yeah, I think, I think there are a lot of pictures of me when I was a little kid and I always had my hands behind my back because my mother would say, when we go in the store, keep your hands behind your back and don't touch anything. Because I, I would take things apart. I was always taking stuff apart. In the store? Yeah, yeah. wherever. Wherever I was. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, here comes that Bancroft kid again. Right. Jesus. Oh, my yeah, God. Man. Oh, man. Well, what what was it that first you know, drew you to? You just like, I mean, why? You, you well, looked at it and said I mean, it's like putting things together. I think it, it you know, it wasn't really until I got to, uh, to Groton school and I met okay. a, a woodworking instructor when it, well, this is when I was 14 years old and a legendary, uh, guy named Doug Brown. And he, you know, he said, Hey, you want to build something? You can build any piece of furniture you want. And then he wow. gave me a bunch of books. 
which had designs from, you know, early American colonial type designs. And I just was amazed that I could start to build something for real. And he showed me how to use all of the equipment and how to, you know, how to organize the drawings and um, learn how to use all the different tools and stuff. So it was it was an amazing experience. And I, I spent all my time uh, there. And so it was it was great. And I got a lot of feedback from from other people, too, that was uh, encouraging. Well, it's like uh, it's spending long hours and like, well, you it kind of was your way maybe to say of expressing yourself, like who you were, if you, I mean, just because you oh. kind of created your, what you were thinking through your design and, and building of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, at, at, the, at that time in the seventies, um, I don't think we were as quick at figuring out, uh, people's, uh, learning differences. And so I think I was, uh, you know, I, I, it was easier for me to express myself with, uh, by building something rather than say a mathematical equation or maybe, you know, writing, uh, writing a novel or something. So, so I, I gravitated towards, towards, um, building things just the way my, my brain worked. It was easy for uh, me to, it was easy for me to see what it was that I wanted to make. So. Also, there's a sense of satisfaction, like where you start with nothing and you complete it. And it's like a little different than painting because, I mean, while it's a work of art, it's like, this is, wow, this is a piece of furniture. This is something. This is, I built this, whether it's a chair or a table, and it has some practical use to it. Uh, it must be very satisfying as well. Yeah, I think that that, that really speaks to the, to the process. And so, you know, the, I think when you're painting, um, you know, there's definitely, you know, the 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 way that you handle the paint and the medium and, and the and the brush strokes are, are 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 super important and the sequence of the way you do things but the process for building furniture can include so many different things um, and you you're not always sure exactly you know how to get the result you want and so it's sort of like a puzzle that's kind of sitting in the back of your head and um, as you think about it. Um, it, you know, the, the process reveals itself and you go, oh, maybe I should try to do that. And maybe if I do that before this, it'll work out. And so you kind of arrive at, 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 at a process. And I think that's part of the part of the thing that holds me to it. So I'm just curious. So when you were a little kid and just building stuff, I'm, I'm guessing it was just um, functional stuff because I'm looking at your site and your work is like all artistic and like beautiful and unique. At what point did, did it become like uh, artwork? Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, it, it, you know, that that was a little bit later um, in my late twenties when I went to the Rhode Island school of design for, for graduate mm -hmm. school. And uh, you know, that was a great experience. It was like, I, I sort of nicknamed it the uh, candy store uh. and you know, you, yeah. <laughs> That's great. you could take, classes and whatever interested you, whether it was graphic design or, or architectural design or, or uh, you know, they had a bronze casting, glass blowing, uh, plus all the woodworking classes and industrial design classes. And the instructors were amazing. And so I was there for two years and I just wish I'd, I'd been there for more, but that was mm. that was all I could stay. So uh, that was that was a point where 
they really encouraged us to uh, try to be as creative as possible and and to differentiate our work from from mm. what was out there and to push the limits of the technique and also to you know come up with expressive ideas where mm. you know the furniture you know there was a movement uh, an art furniture movement at that time and people were collecting pieces of art furniture and putting them into you know private homes or galleries or or, or museums and um, so the idea that a, a piece of furniture could tell a story um, or be closer to say a sculpture where you know the function of it wasn't just to sit in but it was also mm-hmm. to you know kind of give you a feeling or give you a presence you know if you if you imagine say the the game of thrones and then you look at the throne chair with all of the you know in the in that tv set where it has all of these sort of armaments in the back and it's mm-hmm. this huge thing so when you you know when somebody sits in that you immediately associate them with being you know the ruler and so the yeah. design of that chair may not be super practical cuz it's just enormous but um it it gives you uh you know it, it conveys a feeling of mm-hmm. uh of, of power and struggle and so constantly you know when you're building something you're kind of saying you know how much content should i put into this piece right how much content do i do i put into this practical thing and i think uh, when i was younger i wanted to do you know i wanted to put everything into it uh and now that i'm i'm a little more mature i'm i'm pretty happy to just you know say well does the you know is it is the utility is it serving its purpose and you know are the materials correct and, and is the longevity of the piece is the life cycle of the piece what it should be and that that alone is enough content to put into a piece of furniture for me mm-hmm. at this point mm. well to tony's point i mean i you know i think of furniture until i started looking at your your work it's like i read furniture is considered a decorative art and it's blurring the lines between the disciplines of art and design and, you know, you forget that until you look at what you've been doing and all that. I, I've taken mm-hmm. it for granted. And it's really uh, like furniture design. It's, it's, it's an art. And it's really a function of fashion. It's where it collides with fashion, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it, it definitely, it, style, I think, is where is, is, is a good way to put it. And I think that mm. it does belong into the sort of decorative arts uh, category. Um, sculpture tends to be you know, less functional. And so it, it, or has less of a utility, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're meant to look at a sculpture and experience the emotion that you get from it. But a piece of furniture, on the other hand, it really has to do a job, you know, it has to have a surface or it has to be a seat or it has mm-hmm. to store something. And so if it, if it doesn't do its job, if it doesn't have a good utility, then it starts to become sculpture. And yeah. so uh, then you're like, OK, do I have room for this piece of sculpture in my right. you know, Manhattan apartment? You know, and so, you know, uh, so it really from my perspective now, I think that, uh, you know, that if you're going to build something in the in the furniture category, it needs to really uh, serve the utility primarily. And then in terms of its artistic uh 
content uh, that, you know, that becomes uh, sort of an option that you can add to it. I love to hear that because there's so many of these fancy, I've seen these fancy furnitures I sit in. And I go out with my wife and I sit and I go, this is, oh, this, this is beautiful. I go, God, this is uncomfortable. And right. I'm like, why would I buy and spend this kind of money if I, unless I'm just going to look at it? I do yeah. want to sit in it. Yeah, I want to sit exactly. it at some point. I mean, if you yeah. think about how expensive, uh, you know, urban real estate is, you know, you could have a piece of uh, a square yard of, of uh, real estate and it might cost $10,000. And so, right. you know, is the piece of furniture that occupies that worth that you know mm-hmm. worth that real estate and only if it's comfortable to sit in right exactly so, yeah along the way was there any doubt and struggle like why am i doing this but it sounds like the way you talk about school and beyond there's been no hesitation it's been bill full force ahead with design so has there already get to a point where ah you know i'm tired of this i just you still love it every day yeah no i definitely enjoy it and it's always there's always something new to uh, to look into. Um, the technology has changed mm. so much. Uh, I know earlier in, uh, in the, in the, in the program, we talked a little bit about visualization. And so the tools for visualization have gotten so much better. You know, in the old days, I would sort of have to draw something by hand and then you'd have to sort of make a little mini me of the, of the project, yeah. a little model. And then you would have this model and you'd present that and sort of say, this is what the real thing is going to look like. But these days with, um, you know, with the, the workflow, you can, you know, draw the idea in a three-dimensional program and then you can render it in the materials that you're actually going to use. And also uh, you could do, you know, and that's very fast. It only takes, you know, an hour or something to do a drawing like that. And so you can do several drawings in a day and express several ideas and send them over the internet and uh that that very drawing becomes the actual code that you can use uh to make it you know so if you want to take that drawing and use it on a cnc you can make the parts uh that the components to the piece of furniture from that drawing so the workflow of of uh coming up with an idea and then expressing it and then having a, a customer or a client accept it and then actually saying, okay, you accept that. Let's go, let's go into production. Oh, and great. so it's, wow. it's, it's, it's the visualization part of it has changed a lot. And, uh, and so I think that, um, you know, to your question, uh, sometimes if I get engaged in a really long process, it's kind of exhausting, but, um, I can take a break and, and do more visualization on the computer and it's a little less, uh, fatiguing. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't mind the physical part of it. I think that's, it's good. I think, you know, um, during the pandemic, uh, I've had less work. And so I find that I'm I'm less active. And so if I'm actually doing woodworking, I'm, I'm very active and walking around, moving stuff, lugging stuff around. Um, and it's, 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 I think it's, it's a healthier, I mean, there are parts of it that aren't healthy, the sawdust and the fumes and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's a, you know, being active, uh, I think it's it's a better lifestyle than for me than, than sitting down. <laughs> I'm just curious, Bill, how do you how do you um, get the material, particularly the wood? Because I'm looking at some of these pieces and it's like so beautiful. Well, there's a you know, there are a lot of different ways to get the wood. Um, 
I think it, you know, New England is, is a great place to, to, to be, um, you know, you can, uh, once you get to know the different vendors, you know, there are probably, uh, five, uh, different plywood vendors mm -hmm. and they carry materials that come from all over the world. Uh, the, the hardwood, um, you know, you can get it from, uh, various, uh, sort of their outdoor warehouses and they have building after building of, of solid, you know, solid material that they stock. And that also comes from all over the world. And you can, you can go and choose your pieces or you can, you know, make a phone call and have them deliver it. Uh, and, uh, the people that sell the wood get to know you and they mm -hmm. come by your shop and visit and they bring you, you know, flyers and tell you what specials they might have or, uh, tell you what's happening in the industry if regulations change or if something's going on. And so, um, you know, supply and demand changes uh, constantly uh, in this business. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very, it's very uh, susceptible to economic changes. So, Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, is there a type of wood in particular when they you go to these places that you prefer to work with, or you're pretty much open with based on what they what the uh, uh, samples you see? Uh, but do you like to focus on a type well, of? Well, I, I like the I like the domestic hardwood that is um, you know sort of uh, replenishable, and so mm -hmm. I think you know cherry and oak and uh, mm. uh, you know I work in poplar sometimes. Um, Sapili is a, is a type of mahogany. It's exotic. A walnut is always fantastic to work with. I love walnut. Uh, beech is a product that usually comes from uh, northern Germany, and it's uh, it's you know uh, forested, so it's it's uh, replenishable. Um, it really depends on what your you know what your job is, what what the goal for the job is, and and how you know, how, how much material you're going to use. Um, you know, when you think about product design, we're always designing products and, and they have a life cycle. And so things made out of plastic last a consumer electronics, you know, I mean, their phone lasts a year or these things kind of uh, have a short life cycle, but when you're making a piece of furniture, uh, it can last a hundred years or 200 years. Mm -hmm. And so right, right. the types of materials that you use are a little less, um, you know, it's, it's a little less relevant because you're not using so much to build one piece of furniture. So if you use something that's really quite nice or, or even rare, uh, it, 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 it's, it's sort of okay because, um, the life cycle of the thing is so long, but on the other hand, if you're building, something like a restaurant and somebody says, Oh, I want an exotic countertop for my bar. And that, you know, they say, I want, you know, some beautiful rainforest material for my bar. And you know that it's likely that that bar is going to get renovated in five years. Mm, then yeah. it's irresponsible to, you know, it's irresponsible to put that exotic wood into that commercial, um, environment if you know it's going to wind up in a dumpster in five years that's so point so what i usually do is i say wow you know that's cool i love your idea but hey let's take a look at some domestic you know hardwood or maybe some other material like concrete or something that we can use which will you know give you the same vibe and um 
you know, maybe we can do something creative with it to, to do that. And, you know, because, uh, you know, these places get, uh, you know, uh, used so, so much and, and owners change, uh, that it, it, it doesn't make sense to, to use exotic materials for, for something that's going to be destroyed. Well, it's amazing. I mean, you think about to your point about the bar, but also, you know, you look at the, and my father has a lot of antiques and you look at the wood and these products and these things that were made so long ago. And you like you now, Bill, it's not like you can duplicate that, but you can use great quality and hopefully they'll last for hundreds of years as well. But it's the, 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 the go-to mentality of, of people today of just doing something quick and on the cheap. But you look at some of the, the furniture that he has and I've seen, you go, I did that. The, how long they've been around. They look so great. It's just mind boggling the quality yeah. of it. I mean, yeah. four, 400 years, right? I mean, some of that Crazy. stuff, you know, it's like, how did, how does it, well, it was amazing material to begin with, um, you know, that old growth material, but it was also, you know, it was like the, the first cars that were built. I remember looking at a, a Pierce Arrow, which, you know, they, there, are, there aren't many of them around. And if you open up the hood and you look inside, all of the cast parts of the engine and everything were, you know, hand painted and, and, mm. and you know, they put had chrome on the, all of the nuts and bolts and the, the entire machine was uh, was when they designed it and built it, they thought it was going to be on the road for 200 years. And so they built everything that could be repaired and, uh, you know, to, so that you could, you know, work on the car. You can only drive it for 10,000 miles before you had to rebuild it. And they were immensely heavy because there's so much iron in them. And they became completely obsolete once the Model A came in. It was much cheaper and easy to repair on a farm. And so the original intent that the designers and builders had to, of this, you know, of, to building this machine that would last a millennium uh, never was realized because the, the, the cars became obsolete. But I think that the furniture makers who were, who were making those things 400 years ago were, um, were thinking that, that it would last a long time. Yeah, yeah. And um, also, if you think about, you know, technology uh, in, the, you know, in the, you know, many years ago in Europe, uh, they were, a lot of the technology that they were experimenting with was, was in the furniture business. And so they were, they were learning how to, you know, uh, build things and, and cast things and, integrate different materials into the into the uh into the woodworking so that it was this sort of virtuoso uh, of technique and um at the time that technique was was used for building carriages and uh building armaments and so that was really part of the technology the height of technology at the time and nowadays um of course it's very different uh because technology is really you know, about computers and stuff, but. Do you feel like the change, I listened to you about that. I mean, you said from when you were 20 to now, how the passion has changed. Clearly you're still as into it and you're being nurtured in a way by this technology, giving you more options, but at the same time, has it caused problems? I mean, in this, this uh, instant gratification, you know, attention deficit world we live in, do you feel your audience is shrinking and people want to go to an Ikea, have it for a while, throw it away? Or do you feel there's, there's still that audience out there that 
looks at quality and wants to spend the money because you, you must run into that challenge a bit of dealing with the trends and, and also the economics of it. Like how many people can afford what you're doing kind of mentality. Well, I think the technology, you know, helps to build things a little less expensively. And um, I think that when you, you know, when you build something that you put a lot of yourself into and it goes into a private collection or it goes into, you know, a place where uh, it's not going to be either used very much or seen by many people, um, then it kind of has a quiet life after it mm. leaves the shop. But if I'm working on something, um, I tend to enjoy the, the projects that are in, in view of the public. And right. so, you know, if you build something like for even a restaurant or a hair salon or, or you build something like we were talking about, uh, you know, a street lab, um, you know, outdoor public uh, portable libraries. Cool. Um, and these things are experienced by the public uh, uh, who just wander by and they go, whoa, what's that crazy looking thing? And then they get closer <laughs> And they sort of say, wow, it's all it's all wood and it's all glued together. And so if you take a, a moment and you put a moment of craftsmanship or you put a, a, an interesting detail into that uh, into that object, then more people can experience it. So, um, you know, so, yes, it might relate to the, you know, the way it's manufactured might relate to the way that IKEA furniture is manufactured. But. Um, you know, the change in the materials and the way that you, you construct it could be different enough so that it's, it's uh, you know, it creates a slightly interesting experience for the, for the person who encounters it. So, so you're still, I mean, there's still that appreciation for quality as well. I mean, you know, how, how are any of your, your uh, projects, I mean, once you build them, are they, and, and forgive my naivete, can you then reproduce those same ones for multiple people? Or are they original for that person? Do you do the same one or you like to keep it? No, that's for that guy. I I, I'm not going to make another one like it. Or how do you, how do you, Oh, I do think, that? I what? think, I think almost everything is, uh, is unique. Almost mm-hmm. every, even the, even the things that are meant to be, um, even the things that are meant to be multiples change, you know, just like, mm-hmm. just like you would design a, a, a car, um, you know, the, it's constantly being improved. So, you know, no matter, so if if somebody says, Oh, I want to have, you know, I want to have something that looks like that. I'll be like, okay, great. Uh, You should probably know that when we did this, um, you know, the legs were too short, Uh, you know? So, so let's, let's, let's make your version a little bit taller so that it works better. In fact, is it going to be, you know, is yours going to be for dining or are you going to use it for the computer or are you going to use it for, you know, as a kitchen thing. So whatever, however their intent to use it is going to change the way it, it, it the change of design. So, so you talk to them and so, so you listen to what they want, not down, and you come up with like, I'm going to, based on what you want, I'm going to design something and then I'll show it to you. And you say, yeah, that's it. And then they go ahead and build it. Like they have a vision, what they want in their living room or dining room. Say, no, no, I, I get it. Give me, give me some time. I'll come up with the design. And technology has been your friend because you can come up with the design quicker, correct? Yeah, absolutely. But it really depends on who you're working with. Um, so, you know, I, I've kind of, uh, as I've gotten older, I realized that I think I work better as part of a team. 
And so, mm-hmm. uh, if you have a group of, um, architects or designers that you're working with, they might have already <clears throat> established a, a kind of a theme for the, oh, okay. uh, for the space. And so, uh, you know, you're kind of, my job is to say, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to complement the theme? But they're asking me to build something that stands out a little bit. So how can I, how can I fit in, but at the same time, you know, add some interest, uh, like a focus at, at that moment. And so, um, you know, you kind of, uh, you might work with a team of designers and come up with, uh, sometimes I'll say to people say, Hey, show me, show me some pictures of things that inspire you. And, uh, they'll, they'll send a, a file of several different things. And then I'll get an idea of, you know, what, what their sensibilities are. And then I can work from there to, to, to fit in to that aesthetic. So it must be challenging though working with a bunch of creatives on something like this. I mean, uh, who, who ends up winning? I mean, you know, well, it's, you, like, you know, a winning. it's, 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 you know, I, you just put your ego aside. I guess you have to, it's hard. Yeah. For it's just, you know, if you're, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, the, the learning experience of coming up with something new. The other thing too, is that, uh, you know, some of the people that I work with, the architects are just, they're so talented and their ideas are so, um, they're really out there. And so pretty often they'll have an idea of how to build, you know, how to make, how to, how how something should look, but they have, they have no idea of actually how to make it. And so that's, that's the part of the process where my input is, is really critical because I can say, okay, here's, you know, here's how we're going to work with these three materials, you know, aluminum, wood, and say glass or something. And here's how we're going to connect those things together to make this, this larger object. And it could be a room divider, or it could be something that hangs from the ceiling, or it could be, you know, uh, something that you, a storage system. And so you wind up, uh, you know, starting from the connections of, of how to build the thing and making little prototypes of how you might connect all these things together in new ways. And then that really edifies the, uh, that edifies the, the designer and say, Oh, okay. So here's the rule book of how to build the thing. Now that's going to affect how the design looks. And then you sort of work together to, um, you know, you might have to make compromises and say, well, this, this can't exist because there's nothing to hold it. And, you know, so you engineer yeah. some way of, of, uh, of connecting to it. You wind up changing the way a design might exist uh, just by, by working with the customer to, to edify them on the process. And when you're with a team, it doesn't hurt that you're six five, and they're probably going to listen to you first, well, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that always, yeah. that always I helps. Mean, oh, yeah. I got something to say. Okay, the big guy wants to, to talk. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just curious, um, Bill. Um, uh, did you study art as an undergraduate? Yeah, I did. I did. I studied. I studied art, and I studied computer science. Wow. So this has been your thing. I mean, you 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 had a calling, right? I mean, clearly you you're doing what you're supposed to do on this planet, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, it just it just is, seems very natural to me. Um, you know, I remember somebody watching me. We were working uh, working on at, at Sacred Heart, and it was you know this 
brand new cathedral. And one of the architects was watching me sort of build the thing. And she, she said, God, you seem like a, like a, like a cook, like a chef, you know, (laughs) just walking around, putting all the ingredients together. When you're 20 versus now, I mean, how has that passion evolved other than having more access, as I said, in technology? What what is di- different about it to you? Is it just nurturing and making you more and more excited about it? Or does it create a more frustration or it just evolves in a positive sense to you? Everything you've that's coming your way seems to make you better and better from your 20s to now. Well, I would say that when I was in my 20s, I, I you know, I always thought that maybe I would build sort of a, a masterpiece, right? I'd, 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 wow. I'd build this one thing that had everything in it, you know, <laughs> and you just would pack it full of content and it would express every idea on the planet and be this enormous uh, thing. That everyone talks about. That everyone like talks that about. one thing. Look yeah. at that one thing. And <laughs> and so I, I think I, I was trying to move towards that and, and ultimately... Uh, you know, you, you look at these things and you say, wow, that was kind of naive to think that I could do something like that. Uh-huh. And there's, and they're sort of humorous. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think that as time has evolved, I've, I've gotten much more restraint. Uh, and, and I, and I, I make sure that, that, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to use all these materials and turn on all this machinery and all the stuff that you wind up throwing out into the dumpster uh, in the process of making this stuff, if you're going to commit to that, and especially if you're making multiples, if you're going to commit to something like that, then you really want to make sure that your design intent or, or that the objectives of your process and what you're making are, are met and that are, and they're really well thought out. Um, so that it it doesn't it doesn't become kind of like a a sort of a an oddity you know yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you said the word process a couple of times there i meant to ask you along the way not just physically but mentally uh creatively what is this in the process the stage you if you could pick that you enjoy more i mean obviously you enjoy the whole process and the end product but is there that initial moment that the best or where is it along the way are they equally enjoyed the process. Well, I think I, I like, I like, uh, you know, all of it. I, I, I used to, I think when I was younger, I had to, I had to see what this thing was going to look like. And then, mm. you know, now I can, I can appreciate it just on, as on a piece of paper. Um, but the, I, I love, you know, I love building it. I love the process of using the equipment. Um, I like, I like the, part of finishing the wood, you know, where you, you know, you sand it, you, you put the, I'd say sanding isn't so much fun. I've done a lot of sanding. <laughs> like sanding. Yeah. <laughs> I can leave the sanding to somebody else, but, uh, yeah. you know, you're but, big time when you have your own sander, right? Exactly. Like, bring him in, bring him the sander, <laughs> bring in the sander. <laughs> that's, uh, your, that's your gig, Todd. Yeah. Uh, perfect. Thank you. Yeah. It gets a little old. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's always, you know, if you can incorporate something new that you haven't had much experience with, yeah, that then that, that becomes yeah. very exciting. Yeah. And also collaborating with other people. If you can, you know, like if you have interns or you have students working with you, then you can you can share uh, what you're doing. And that makes the process also really enjoyable. What have you learned that, you know, you can share that maybe someone might, heaven forbid, try to 
consider dabbling in the world of, of furniture making? Is it something too scary to start or is it something that you would encourage or what can you share with a listener about the process that's gotten to this point that anyone can begin? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that there, there are, there's a huge, um, uh, group of people that do start making furniture and um you know when they have more time when they're retired and mm -hmm. the types of uh, tools and equipment that you can get now are just amazing so you can get you know the very big industrial stuff that is, is you know meant to be used all the time and needs a special space or you can have a lot of smaller equipment um you can also work at any scale so you could you know, you could you could make, uh, for instance, little pens uh, that you turn on a lathe uh, that are. I that, read about that. A lot of old people yeah. like pens. Making yeah, pens. yeah, very small. It's very small space requirements. Or you could, or you could, you know, if you had more room, you could make turning objects. Right. You know, right. those that that scale object requires a little less space than furniture. But if you're, you know, if you're talking about furniture, then you sort of you need to have uh, a few different machines. And um, it needs to be a larger space, but uh, there's so much instruction out there uh, available. Yeah. And and I know that um, you know certain vendors like Rockler or Woodcraft, you know, they have seminars and classes where you can you know you can take uh, you can you can take classes from people that have have like myself, uh, and and they'll. Uh, take you through the process of building things. Uh, there are all kinds of programs you can go to. So it really depends on what scale you want to work at and um, how much space you've got. But I would definitely encourage people to do it because I think as we get older, um, it's really important to to take time, you know, to make a practice of being creative, you know, to make sure that you you spend a certain amount of time every day trying to be creative. So for Todd, for you, it might be writing, you know, or, or for someone else, it might be painting or, or maybe, maybe it's, it's, you know, making films or, or for me, it's like trying to create uh, a design or, or maybe electronic music. Uh, and mm -hmm. so I think that it's, it's sort of really, uh, it's really nice to be to be to to make the practice of creativity to make that part of your day, and also try to join a community of other like-minded right, people. Right. You know, and I think that's that's huge. That those two things are 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 a really nice way to to organize your, you know, your empty nesting years or whatever you want to call them, the time you have as as things you know uh, slow down a little bit. It's probably very meditative to do that and, and, and do woodworking. It's very peaceful. I mean, it's a different form of meditation, I would think. Yeah, it's good for your it's good for your brain. Yeah, you know? Yeah. I know Tony would yeah, be. It, it, might wouldn't, have it tough, wouldn't be meditative. Would not be meditative for me. Uh, Tony would stop at the bird birdhouse where you like to begin on one hundred and one. I wouldn't go near the birdhouse, man. I told like you one hundred and one. The birdhouse, man. I, I like, can open a door and I can change a light bulb. Second graders build birdhouses. Come on, you could do that. Yeah. No, man, it's not my yeah. thing. You know, I'm, well, I'm good at other things. Well, teaching is teaching is also really good for your for your brain too because you're right, I bet. you know you're. You know, you're 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 working with younger people, and and they have a certain way of approaching things, and you're kind of like, okay, how can I get this idea across to them? 
And so it, it, it really forces you into, uh, you know, learning what's happening, you know, what's pop culture all about and uh, what kind of computer programs they need to use, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of technologies they're embracing. And so it, it, it helps you think about what you're trying to, you know, what you know, and then how you can package it so that they can appreciate it. And I think that's another, you know, another way to, to be creative. So if you can get involved in a community of uh, like-minded people who are trying to build stuff, I mean, I, one, one fellow I work with a shop technician, he teaches evening classes at the Elliott school and they, you know, he takes retired guys and takes them through the process of building stuff. And he says, you can build whatever you want. You know, we're going to, we're going to take uh -huh. it, take it from the top. And so I, that, so that alone, uh, that group of people isn't just about building furniture. It's about riding old BMW motorcycles and, you know, yeah. classic yeah. rock mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, Dutch beer and God knows what else. Right. And so yeah. they, they all communicate with each other. And then sometimes they'll just take the classes several times and then wind up being one of the TA. So wind up being wow. one of the teachers, you know, uh, and so they just, and then they're then they're in the process of saying, okay, I've learned a certain amount of stuff, and I'm conveying it to the new guys that show up. And so I think that's that's kind of exciting as well. What does the future hold for Bill Bancroft? Does it just continue to design? I mean, on on a physical sense, is it is that getting more of a struggle for you? And no, I think and I, I think that it's it's building stuff. You know, there's always something to build, right? There's mm -hmm. there's always something that needs to be built. There's just certain things that that can't be solved and right. you have to come up with a unique solution to it and so that's where that's where my skill set comes into play you're never too old to get started then you're never too old to learn something new that's it all right i think uh tony you're good i'm yeah. good man very, All right, Bill, thank you very much. This has been inspiring. I'm excited. I'm going to go. I mean, Tony, I'm going to make a birdhouse this weekend. Oh, It'll God. I'll watch. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoy this episode of the Gray Matters podcast. Please rate and review and be sure to tell your friends, too. For more information about this podcast, go to thegraymatters.org. And please subscribe to The Gray Matters wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to thank my guests, Bill Bancroft, my co-host, Tony Hoyland, and a special thanks to you, the listener. I'm Todd Harrington. Until next time.